or just a closer walk with the Lord. Isn't that what we need this morning? You have your Bibles now. Hold your Bible up for me real good. Got this sword of the Spirit, this Word of God. You know what I'm doing with this and where we're going with it. But we're glad you're holding your Bible up. Now, have you been reading your Bible this week? Keep holding it up. Amen. Have your Bible. I want you to turn with me to the little epistle of Philemon. The little epistle of Philemon, when you find verse 10, if you're physically able to do so, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word. Philemon, verse 10, just has one chapter. Philemon, verse 10, when you find that. Uh, well, it's good to be back in, in, in Crossville, be back at home. Was at the sword last week, and uh, what, some, what a great, great conference. And what a great, great uh, time of help for myself, really. And, uh, and when it went there, I guarantee you enjoyed it. One of the problems that uh, happens when I sit there all week long is trying to uh, sort of get my heart right what I need to preach next time because i got all this stuff running in my head. And so y'all pray for me. I don't know. I could probably preach for four or five hours. I don't know if it makes any sense. But i got a message at any rate that I think that will help you this morning and help all of us if we'll, let it, if, if we'll let God use it in our lives. Philemon, verse number 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Verse number 18 is the text verse for this morning. I'd like for us to read that verse together. Are you ready? If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I'm going to take that last little phrase of that verse this morning and try to preach to you a message entitled simply, Put That on My Account. Put That on My Account. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come and have this time we can be together in thy house. Dear Lord, we've experienced thy blessing this morning in Sunday school. And now, Lord, we've had a good spirit in our service this morning, in our singing, in our fellowship. And now we've come to this portion of the service where the bread of life has been broken. And Lord, once again I stand in Thy house before Thy people, and I have the great privilege, yea, the great responsibility of delivering a message from the Word of God. And as I stand here this morning and I look out over Thy people, I recognize my inability and my unworthiness to be here. And so, dear God, I would ask You once again, You'd forgive me of my sin. Please 
Cleanse me of that precious blood of Calvary that I might be a vessel fit for thy service. And then, dear God, I pray that you would fill me with power and unction that I can preach in such a manner that every person here would give their undivided attention and they would feel this message is for them and them alone. If there's a lost soul here, may they be saved. Those of us that are saved, may we be challenged, the backslidden reclaimed, the discouraged encouraged. But most importantly and above all things, may Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified. For it is in His precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The little epistle of Philemon is an interesting little epistle. It is written under inspiration by the Apostle Paul, not to a church, uh, not to uh, a preacher boy as Timothy and 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are, but it's written to a friend of his named Philemon. It has really one purpose in the writing of this to him. It is to ask for the forgiveness and for him to encourage Onesimus. And so he writes this. Now Paul wrote this from prison. Uh, He was in his first uh, Roman incarceration. He was in prison in Roman government twice. The second time they beheaded him. First time they let him go. And he he was uh, there in that Roman prison. And he was there for a couple of years that first time. And so he's in prison now. And there are several of the prison epistles, but this is one of them. And he writes this epistle, and he writes it to a friend of his by the name Philemon on the behalf of Onesimus. Now as we're looking at this, it's important to understand some things. The Bible gives us just a little glimpse of these two men. We find it here, obviously, in Philemon, but who is Onesimus? I'll start with him. Who was this Onesimus? Well, in our text, if we uh, keep reading this, if we read all of it, we had found that he was a slave that belonged to Philemon, and he ran away. And uh, more than likely, according uh, even to our text, verse 18, when he ran away, he stole some money from Philemon when he ran away. And now he's been found in Rome and he's been put in prison. And while he was in prison, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul, and he got converted. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so now the Apostle Paul has seen uh, Onesimus converted. And Onesimus now has become a very faithful man of God. And Paul would have kept him with him to minister to him, but he realizes and he just sends him back because that's the law, and... There's quite a few other things that must be upheld, and so he sends him back to Philemon. Now I want you to hold something here in Philemon, because I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 4. If you remember, in uh, if we read all the texts, you would find that Paul commends Philemon. He says, now I know that you'll do what I'm asking you to do, but you'll do more than I ask. And I think that Paul uh, Philemon probably did more than Paul asked. We find one more reference to Onesimus in our Bible. In Colossians chapter 4, the the church at Colossae, we'll begin reading in verse 7 through verse 9. All my state shall Titius declare unto you, I was a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, 
that He might know your state and comfort your hearts. Now watch verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. I want you to notice in verse number 9 that now we find Onesimus. And the Apostle Paul is making reference to him in several things in verse 9. He says, he's one of you. He was of the city of Colossae. So I now know in the Bible that Philemon was from Colossae and that Onesimus was from Colossae. And, and now he is in uh, the church of the, uh, uh, the Colossians and he's part of it. And boy, he's known to them. So, boy, God greatly used him. Not only that, he is with Titus and he's helping Titus deliver the epistle of the Colossians to the church at Colossae. I believe he did a little more than that. If you look down the last verse of this chapter, and by the way, there's uh, some postscripts that are written at the end of those things that are important as well, and that's really what I'm after. And verse 18 says, The salutation by uh, the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you, amen. Written from Rome to the Colossians by Titus and Onesimus. So here we find this Onesimus now that we read about in the book of Philemon. We find that he was converted in prison. We find he's sent back to Colossae and he's a, a, a beloved brother and he gets very involved in the church. He goes back to Rome when Paul's in prison again and he ministers to Paul there in prison. Him, He and Titus and God gives Paul the uh, book of Colossians, the epistle of Colossians, and the two of them together pin it down and bring it back to the church at Colossae. What a great truth. So here's this man, Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. He got converted and God raised him up and used him mightily, especially in the church of Colossae. It was Philemon then. And we see a little bit about Philemon from what we've already said. He was a wealthy man of Colossae. We found in the book of Philemon there was a church in his house. And, and so he had a church there and it was in his house. And they met, probably the church of Colossae met in his house. And uh, he was a big part of it. We find that he helps uh, the Apostle Paul. They had become friends and Paul knew him. And so when Paul then converts Onesimus, he would have kept him. But it was the right thing to send him back. By the way, it's always the right thing when you get right with God to make wrong, right the wrongs that you have done. To, to make wrong, right the wrongs that you've wronged other people and the things that you've done. It's always the right thing and biblically and scripturally to set those things right. And so Onesimus, if he's going to really be what God wants him to be and be where God wants him, he has to go back and make it right with Philemon. And he does. And Paul sends this letter to him. Now in asking him to forgive Onesimus and to help Onesimus, in verse 18 he says this, and go back and look at it, If he hath wronged thee, well, he probably has. Or if he oweth thee aught, well, he probably does. He stole from him. Paul says, now listen. If Onesimus has wronged you, if he owes you any money, owes you anything, then here's what I want you to do with that. 
Put that on my account. He said, you just charge that to me. I'll take care of it. Verse 19, that's what he said. He said, I'll pay it. I'll pay you whatever he owes you. You just put that on my account. And if he's wronged you, I'll make that right. You just put it on my account. You just hold him free. You hold him not guilty. And you put it on my account and you hold me chargeable. You hold me guilty. And I will take care of it. What a great truth. Now at the end of the message, I'm going to come back to that. Because the real context of this message is a man of God taking responsibility for another Christian and helping them and encouraging them to be able to be lifted up and walk in the way of Christ. But also there's a spiritual application here. That is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does for you and I. That's what He did for us. That's what He's doing for us now. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this. So I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, with me. I want you to go to Romans chapter 3. Book of Romans chapter 3. This morning, you and I, if, if, if we stood before God, and if, if every one of us could stand in the very presence of an Almighty God, and we could stand in front of Him, we would find ourselves in God's stead, as Paul tells the Romans that we are in Romans chapter 3. So we start reading in verse uh, number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now he is quoting an Old Testament text. There's none righteous. There's not one of us this morning that is righteous. If we stood before God in our own strength, our own merit, if I stood before God, if you stood before God in your own strength and your own merit, God would look at you and say, God would look at me and say, you are not righteous. Now, by the way, that goes against my pride and your pride. N nobody likes to be able to be told, well, you're no good. Nobody likes to be told that. Nobody likes to be told that. Nobody likes to admit that. But that's exactly what God is saying here. He's saying, you're not righteous. And then He describes what God sees when He sees you and I in our flesh. What does God see? Verse number 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. You see, we would begin to deny that. Well, you're sure I understand. I understand right and wrong, and I understand the law, and I understand... Uh, and I'm seeking after God, but that's not what God thinks. God would look at me this morning and I'd stand before Him and say, you really don't understand at all. You really don't understand who I am, what I am, what I want, because there's too much of what you're doing that's mine. Great truth there. You understand what he said. There's too much of what you and I do that's us. It revolves around me. It revolves around what I want, what I need, and how I want it. It doesn't revolve around what God wants. It doesn't revolve around what Jesus does. As a matter of fact, if you're not careful, 
You and I live our lives and there's so many things in our lives every day. We never ask God about it at all. We decide what is right. We decide what we want to do. We decide where we're going to go. And we never ask God if that's what He wants us to do at all. There's none that seeketh after God. God said there's so much that goes on that you really don't understand that I've got a will for your life, that I've got a will in everything, and I, I, I want you to ask me, I want you to seek me, I want you to let me guide you. By the way, it's better for me if God guides me than if I guide me. It's better for you if, you, if God guides you than you guide you. But God says you're not righteous. You, you don't understand the ways of God and you're not seeking after God. You're seeking your own way. Verse 12, he furthermore begins to, keeps describing it. They're all gone out of the way. They are together, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 12, he says, you know what? Every one of you have gone out of the way together. You've fallen your own way. You're doing whatever you want to do. You're not doing what I want you to do. You become unprofitable to me. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We, we, are, we find ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, and we look at our own lives and we quit trying to look at others and justify our actions because we are looking at others. And we're really bad to do that. We, we, we look at other people and we see what they do, what we think they're doing. And, and by the way, we think we know more about them than we actually know. We think we understand what they think. We really don't. And, and it's important. We, and we, but we do that to justify ourselves. And if I would look at myself, I would find that God says to me, Hey, Mike, you know what? You're, you've went out of the way. You're, you're not profitable to me at all. Verse 13, then he begins to get very specific. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Where their tongues they have used a seed and the poison of an asp is in, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 13 and 14 says, you know what? He says, you know what you're always doing? You're always uh, talking about somebody else. Always trying to run somebody down. It's an important... It, it's, it, it's interesting to me that oftentimes as Christians we... Oh man, I'm right with God because we haven't committed adultery or murder, haven't gotten drunk, haven't gotten something that we think is a big sin. But it's amazing me how many Christians are always talking about somebody else. Every time you run into them, and they're not telling you some testimony about what God's done to somebody's life and how God saved somebody or how God answered a prayer or how God lifted somebody else up. They're always telling you, well, you know what that man did? You know what that woman said to me? Do you know what they did to me? The poison of asp. Do you know what they did that was so wrong? Let me tell you about what they did. Isn't that what all of us get in trouble about? Isn't that what James says when he says, the tongue's unruly evil that no man can tame, and I'm not the exception of that, and by the way, neither are you. When we, we, we talk about stuff that's none of our business, and we talk about things that, doesn't, that absolutely has no concern to us, and we run our mouths all the time. And God says, I don't like that. You're unprofitable to me. You've gone out of the way, and 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 you just your your speech is not what I like. I'm not happy with you at all. And what don't you see yourself as becoming less and less good? We ought to. The next verse, verse number fifteen says, "Their feet are swift shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways." Everywhere they go, there's causing misery and destruction, pain. Heartache and contention. Next verse. In the way of peace have they not known. Well, one of the things I find myself when I'm in trouble is if I leave and I've not left peace, I've had contention. I've left people not in peace, but I've left them where they're arguing and fighting and 
There, there's no real comfort. There's no peace. Well, we're bad to do that. And then he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. If I really feared God, I wouldn't do any of that. And if you really feared God, you wouldn't do any of that. But the reason we do it is because we really don't fear God. We say we fear God. We tell people we fear God. We know who God is. He's the Creator. And one of these days He'll judge us. But we continue to do things that we know is wrong and continue to lead our own lives and do it our way and leave God out of it. Really, if we feared God, we'd repent and let God be God. That's the way God sees me. That's the way God sees you. Remember the book of Romans written to Christians. We, we often take this and talking to lost people in true, but it's written to Christians, it's written to you, me and you, you and I. Get the grammar right in a minute. Next verse, verse 19, watch this. Now we know that what things serve the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He says, you know what I give you the law for? Stop your mouth. You're not good. You are guilty. That's what the law does to me. That's what the law ought to do to you, is make you see that you are guilty in God's eyes. I keep reading. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know what the law does? It doesn't justify me. It causes me to know my sin. You know what the law ought to do for you? It causes you to know your sin, my sin, your sin, personally. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There is a righteousness that we get that does not come by the law. How does it come? Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The only righteousness that you and I can have is the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, that Christ imputes, gives to you and I, his righteousness. And then God goes back and concludes this in verse 23 and He says, For all have sinned and come short glory God. So this morning as, as we're thinking how we would stand and stack up in front of God, we'd stack up pretty poorly. Pretty poorly. If we would think that we're righteous, we would think that we're good, but we'd stack up pretty poorly. Every time I read this passage, I remember years ago dealing with a young man, good young man as far as the world is concerned, and not a heathen, not a hoodlum, a hard worker, and just a good, honest young man. And, but he was lost, and I was dealing with him. I come to the end of this text, and he looked at me, and he said, I thought I was a pretty good fellow until I come in here. By the way, that's what he had to say before he gets saved. You see, before you and I can ever get right with God, we have to see that we're not a pretty good fellow. We're sinners. We, 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 we make God angry every day. We're unprofitable to God every day. God doesn't need me. God don't need you. We're unprofitable to God. What does God say about that? That's a pretty bad thing. I look at that. And I stand before God. And I want God to use me. and I want God to help me and to bless me. and I want God to work in my life. And I read Romans chapter 3 and I read Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6 and it says, All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags and that makes it worse. The dead level best I can do and God looks at me and says, Mike, anything good you can do, it's just 
filthy rag. There's, I, 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 you, you're unprofitable to me. There's absolutely nothing that you can do that I want. How's that make us feel? It ought to make us feel right where we're at. We are sinners. And we are in need of a Savior. I stand before God. And God looks at me and says, that's how I see you. You're unprofitable to me. There is nothing good that you have. Well, none of us like that. But that's what we are. Here in Romans chapter 3, turn to chapter 6, the last verse in the chapter. If something doesn't happen with my sin, I want you to notice what it does to me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We often use that in soul winning, but God says, I'm going to tell you something. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And God says, I want to tell you something. The wages, the payment for your sin is death. God will not look over my sin. God will not look over your sin. God will not look over it. And my sin is building something that I do not want to pay, that I cannot pay. The only payment I can make is death. So it puts you and I in a bad shape. From a spiritual standpoint, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, Death and hell is cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. If I stand before God as a human being without salvation and say, I'll pay for my sin. I want what is justice. God would say the only thing you can get is to go to the lake of fire for all eternity. That's a pretty bad thing. But you and I as Christians, here we are. How does God deal with me? How could God ever use me? How could God not be angry with me every day? The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. We overlook that fact sometimes. I, I, I mean... I can be wicked as a Christian. God be angry with me. You can be wicked as a Christian. God be angry with you. He'd be angry with me for actions, my attitude. God be angry with me for the way that I'm living. I don't want God to be angry. How do I deal with that then? How do you deal with that then? You see, I find myself where Onesimus was with Philemon. I find myself in the same position with God as Onesimus was with Philemon. I find myself that I owe and I can't pay it. I find that I've wronged God and the best I can do, God says, is trash. So I find myself every day in trouble. So how do I deal with it? How do you deal with it? Well, we have, to, we have to have an advocate. We have to have Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus comes to the Father, and I want to give you a couple of things. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 23. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know Luke 23 is the crucifixion. And Luke 23, the very first thing that Jesus says on the cross, and I recognize in a particular thing, He's speaking to the ones that actually crucified Him. But I want you to notice what God, what Jesus says to God the Father on my behalf and on your behalf every day. I want you to notice something. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, the very first saying of the cross, 
as and right after they had nailed him to the cross. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. I want you to notice something. You know what Jesus says to God the Father every day when God the Father is angry with me for my sin and my wickedness and my actions and my attitude and my mouth and Father, forgive him. He really doesn't know what he's doing. Father, forgive that man. He doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive that woman. She thinks she knows what she's doing, but she really doesn't. Father, forgive that child. They're just a child, and they do not know what they're doing. But that's not where he ends it. You see, he's asked for forgiveness for us, and by the way, the Father will extend it, but why does the Father extend it? And the best passage I can get with this is 1 Peter chapter 2. And so I want you to turn there, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to get one verse. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. You see, we find ourselves in God's sight. We, we do what we want to do. We're unprofitable to God. And we, we say and do things we ought not say and do every day. And we find ourselves sinners and outside the will of God and where God does not want us. And Jesus does say, Father, forgive them. But he says more than that. I want you to notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Uh, you know what Jesus did on Calvary? He looked down through time and He saw you and I. And He said, Hey, Father, I know what kind of sinner Mike Curley's going to be. I ask you to forgive him and I ask you to just put that on my account. Whatever He owes you, put that on my account. Wherever He's wronged you, just put that on my account. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. And He did. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ took care of your sin. He said about you personally, Hey, Father, please forgive them. Wherever they've wronged you and whatever they owe you, just put that on my account. And you're healed. Not with your own power, not with your own ingenuity, not with your own goodness, but by the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to mean something to you and I as Christians. You know why in Colossians chapter 4 we find that Onesimus was back in a Roman prison dealing with the Apostle Paul and why he had not turned his back on him and why he was loyal to him because that was the man that led him to Christ and that was the man that helped him. And it amazes me how many Christians are so unloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to God the Father, put that on my account. And He put your worst day, your worst sin, your worst living, He paid for it. And you can't even read His Bible. How ungrateful. You can't even be faithful to the house of God. And He put all your sin on His account. 
How ungrateful is that? What a great truth. This morning, the Lord Jesus Christ has said to God the Father on my account and your account, if they owe you anything, if they've wronged you, and we do owe Him and we have wronged Him, put that on my account. Isn't that a great truth? That's a great truth. I'm glad this morning I'm going to heaven. You say, I thought you were a wicked individual. I am. I am a sinner and I know it. But I'm going to heaven because Jesus took my sin on the cross and He's paid that penalty. Thank God for that. You ought to know that. He ought to do something for you. He ought to do something to you to know who Jesus is and what He did for you. Not only that, after you get saved, by the way, you don't become perfect. I wish my flesh became perfect. I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you how not to sin. I wish I could tell you how that, uh, that you could uh, keep your mouth right and, and uh, keep your attitude right. And by the way, those are the things that get us in trouble more than the murder and adultery and the drunkenness. Do you understand that? Uh, that's what really gets us in trouble. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you how to handle all that, uh, but I haven't learned yet. And so the only thing I've learned is just keep going to God and asking God for forgiveness and, and, and asking other people to forgive me and trying to make things right like Onesimus did. you understand that? But I'm going to tell you what happens to us. We have an adversary. Did you know that? Did you know you have an adversary in the devil and he runs his mouth all the time? Do you know that you have an adversary in the devil and, and, and Jesus has said to God the Father, put that on my account. Thank God He's took my sin and your sin and my shame and your shame and what I owe and, and your, what you owe and He's put that on His account and He's paid the price in full. Thank God for salvation. But now hold on a minute. Every day you're going to be attacked by the devil to Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that? I, I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 12, the book of the Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, I want you to see something very important. Every day, Satan accuses the children of God to God. That's what was happening in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. In Job chapter 1, Satan comes and accuses Job to God. And uh, he was wrong because he's a liar and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, he failed. And in Job chapter 2, he comes back and accuses again. He, again, he's wrong and he's a liar and, and he failed again. But he doesn't give up. He still does that. And so you, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ and you pled the blood and you trusted Christ, He saved you, thank God that's been put under the account of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But every day, Satan comes and accuses you to God. You know that. You found Revelation chapter 12 by now, I trust. I want you to look in verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which, which accused them before our God day and night. You know what Satan's doing today? Accusing you and I in the front of God as to how bad we are. No doubt He brings up my sin. No doubt He brings up your sin. No doubt He brings up that you're really not loyal to Christ. You're loyal to you. You're not trying to find God's will. You're trying to find your will. You're not trying to seek God. Trying to seek myself. You understand what I'm saying. 
And every day the accuser brings that before God. And every day he accuses us of our sin and accuses us before God. And he accuses us to Jesus every day. What an awful thing that must be. For the lovely Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the one that loved me and died for me and shed His blood for me, whom I accepted as my Savior over 43 years, almost 43 years ago now, every day, a little longer than that, my math's a little off, about 45 years. At any rate, every day, He comes in front of Jesus, hey, look what old Mike did today. Look what he's saying now. Look at his attitude now. Look at his bitterness and his anger, his unforgiveness, and look how he's talking about somebody else. Every day. Every day. Man, what an awful thing. Did you ever think about that? Why don't you think about that? Hey, he ain't reading your Bible today. He don't really love you. Look at that. He's, he spends more time on Facebook than he does reading the Bible. He don't really love you. Every day. Y'all getting the picture here? Every day. That's what Jesus is doing to God the Father on my account and your account. Every day. Look how he got mad there. And look at his bitterness there. And look at his anger there. Look at him. Look at him. Every day. I thought he was your child. Look how he's acting. Every day. Does it to me and does it to you? One of these days he's going to be cast out. There's going to be joy then. How in the world can we overcome him? Well, look at the next verse. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Every day Satan comes and accuses you before God, before uh, Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, just put that on my account. I done paid for that. Every day when Satan comes and accuses, every day he says, Just Put that on my account. Man, what a great truth. He says to God the Father, forgive him, put that on my account. Every day he says to Satan, he's under the blood, he's alright. I forgave him a long time ago. That's been paid for. You're behind. You're behind. That's been paid for. You follow? And one last thing, and this is really the crutch of the message. Go back to our text and Philemon chapter, or verse 18. Chapter 1 of Philemon. If you have chapter 2, you need to get another Bible. Philemon chapter 1, verse 18. Now I want you to get this. This is what God began to deal my heart about. I'm glad that Jesus says, put that on my account to the Father. And He says, put that on my account to, G to Satan. I can stand here today in front of you and know that I've been forgiven and know that I'm going to heaven and know because it's on His account. But I want you to notice something else. If He have wronged thee, oweth he ought, put that on mine account. Do you know that's what we ought to be saying to other Christians about other Christians? Do you not understand that's what's happening here? It is a new convert who has wronged a Christian. And another Christian has written to him and said, Hey, listen, 
Onesimus has wronged you. He owes you something. Just give him a clean bill and charge me for it. I'll pay you whatever he owes you. And I'll make it right. Just put that on my account. Hey, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you heard about some Christian that stumbled, said something they shouldn't have said, did something stupid they shouldn't have done? And instead of going around telling people, well, you know what he said? You know what she said? Let me tell you what they did to me 15 years ago. Let me tell you what... My word! You understand? We do that. Y'all act like you don't do that. I know. I hear it a lot. Unfortunately, I participate in it. Did you catch what it said? How long has it been since somebody started talking about somebody and you looked at him, put your arm around him, and said, I know, but I love you. Why don't you just put that on my account? Whatever he's done to you, whatever she's done to you, why don't you just put that on my account? I'll pay you. However they've wronged you, let me make it right. I'll catch that. You see, I have an idea. Most of us have never done that. Because we do not expect. We just want to run them down. We want them to pay for what they've done. We want them to suffer. Amen or me? You see, that's not what God wants me to do. It's not what He wants you to do. You see, this is a teaching of how Christians ought to treat one another. Let me give you another text. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, I want you to see something. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I want you to notice what your Bible says. Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, tell everybody in the world what they did wrong, as long as they live. Does it say that? It don't say that, does it? It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say anything anywhere near that. Well, let's see what it says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, by the way, that's me. There are times that I'm overtaken in my fault. When I say things I ought not say and I do things I ought not do. That's you. If you're honest, there are times you're overtaken in a fault. Understand that? Sometimes there's people that you know that's been overtaken in a fault. What, what, would, what do we do about that? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in default, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. How do I do that? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know how I do that? You know how I do that? 
Whenever somebody's wrong, somebody else. Come here, Ryan. Now watch this. I'm going to try to help you. I love Ryan. He's been my friend for a lot of years. That just ruins your support, by the way. Everybody in the world knows that now. Now you're in trouble. You lost half your support. Now Ryan, Ryan's served with me for a lot of years. Now you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I can tell you people that have wronged this man. Church members of our church. They had to talk about him, what they've done to him. I can tell you. I don't. Because it doesn't help him, me, them, or Christ. Do you understand that? By the way, he's not going to tell you. I know his character will have not. But every once in a while, it's really hard to bear that. And we were both a lot younger than we are now. He's catching me. And we had to learn this truth. Every once in a while, I'd have to go and say, Hey, Ryan, let me help you with that. I know what they've done. I know what they're saying. But let me take care of that. You just stay straight. That's happened before, hasn't it? More than once. (laughs) Sit down. When's the last time you've done somebody that way? You didn't wrong them. You didn't hurt them. Somebody else did. And you just went to them. Instead of talking about that person, running that person down, you say, hey, just put that on me. Whatever they did to you, let me take care of it. Let me deal with it. You know what you've done then? You're trying to restore somebody. And then you... You're a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker is a hard thing because everybody wants you to be on their side 150%. And if you even act like you're neutral, they shoot you. Because you're an idiot if you're neutral. You can't be neutral because that person has no good in them. They're Satan personified. Y'all grasp that. And if you try to even be neutral, they're angry at you. So then they talk about you because you're stupid. Amen, Romy. But you know what this text is really saying in Philemon? That if we really want to see God work in our midst, not only do I rejoice and that God, Jesus says, put that on my account. Not only do I rejoice that Jesus says to Satan, hey, put that on my account. That's done been paid for, idiot. You follow? But you and I are doing that to other Christians. We're writing letters to some other Christians. Say, hey, they've wronged you. They've hurt you. Let, just put that on my account. Let me take care of that. And then you're trying to restore fellowship. Not separate it. Restore it. That is what God wants out of us. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you attempted that? It ought to be something we do often. 
and you would find the peace and power of God would flow. Every head bowed and every eye closed.